All right, we're in our third week of this series based on the Levitical Feast or the seven festivals that God instructed the Israelites to observe. And these holidays are set aside really to, um, to, to cause the Israelites to draw their attention to God, to, um, to, to highlight or to emphasize some aspect of the work that he'd done to reveal himself, to show himself to them as his people, but then also to cause them to just... To, to stand and let their attention be drawn to him. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. You know, every, every year we come to Thanksgiving and it's that time to remind ourselves to be thankful. Well, certainly we should be thankful every day. I mean, really, right? I mean, if, if we're to be truthful and honest with ourselves, we should be thankful every day. But there's this season, there's this day that we're given to remind us, hey, take time and be thankful. Be, and, and especially in Christian circles, we emphasize that being thankful to God in the ways he's blessed us and the ways he's growing us. But as we've gone through this, each of these celebrations kind of break out and give us a different perspective. In the Sabbath, we're called to worship God by resting in Him. And for us as believers today, it's not so much just setting aside a day. However, I think there's an aspect of that, that we should set aside a day, that we rest and we trust in God. As we do that in a physical way, it highlights our trust in God for our provision, our provision not just for this life today. I don't have to work seven days a week breaking my back because I think that's the only way I'm going to get ahead in the world. I trust God to provide for me, and so I can take a day to rest. God designed us with a need for rest, and, and so he provided us with this day. But I can do it, and it demonstrates my trust in him. And it, as I do that physically, it offers up a spiritual representation of my worship in him. And so everything about that day, it becomes an opportunity for worship. Last week, we focused on the Passover. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week, we focused on the Passover. And in the Passover, we saw that God really highlighted himself. The events of the Passover commemorated something God did. But as he did that, he just didn't want people to see the event or what he did. He wanted them to see himself. And so we saw God, a, a, a judge, a God that brings judgment and a God that brings mercy, a God that brings justice, and a God that brings grace. And so we see God kind of in his fullness. And this week, as we kind of continue on, and out of that is, or extended from that, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I'll tie these two together at the end. The reality is, is that the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover are really one and the same. There's no way I could have covered them all in one week. We'd have been, we'd, we would have been here way too long. You'd have gotten tired of, of hearing me go on. Um, the reality is it's just too much. But today at the end of this, we'll time together and we'll recognize. We'll, I think you'll see how this is a call to worship in every day of our life, every, every part of our walk of life. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in a couple of different books, actually. If you've got a Bible, you can flip to Leviticus chapter 23 and then put your finger in Exodus chapter 12. Um, We'll also be in 1 Corinthians towards the end. But the verses will be on the screen uh, as we move forward. And so let me just kind of set this up. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, as I said, they're really one and the same. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as it extends out of the Passover, kind of gives a different perspective. The Passover reveals who God is. And the, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread kind of gives the people, God's people, an opportunity or direction for how they're to respond to him, how they're to live in light of what he's shown them. And so that's really what we're going to see today. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. Uh, we'll we'll read, start reading in Leviticus chapter 23, um, verse 5 through 8. In the first month on the 14th day 
of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. You guys remember that from last week. In the first month, the 14th day of the month, of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. That's the, that's the beginning. That's, that's one special day where God did a special work to provide redemption or freedom to his Israelites, to, to the people that he had chosen. In verse 6 it says, And on the 15th day of the same month, so the very next day, on the 15th day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Remember the Sabbath, it's the same kind of idea, is that that you're not going to do any ordinary work and you're going to have a holy gathering, a gathering that's meant to just focus our attention on God. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering for the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So within this festival, there are two special Sabbaths. They may not actually fall on Sunday, but there's two special Sabbaths where they are to gather and just have a holy gathering, and they're not going to do any real work or ordinary work. Now, the Jewish calendar, as we as we read this, to help you kind of visualize it and see it, I, I want you to understand the Jewish calendar is different than ours. It's not set up the same way. It's not. They do have 12 months, and actually some, some people say they have 10. It just depends on who you read from and talk to. But, but the reality is, is that they have, they have a different calendar. They kind of follow a lunar schedule. And their days and their months are different than ours. For example, the first month that he's referring to in this passage is the month of Nisan, or at that time it was called Abib. Now, the reality is, is that falls in our March and April. That was their first month of their year was March and April. And also their days are totally different than ours. Their days start at twilight or at sundown. Excuse me. So at sundown, when the sun crosses the, 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 the horizon, not when it goes dark, but when the sun crosses the horizon, that's the start of their new day. So their day doesn't start when the sun comes up or even based on an hour, like ours starts at midnight in the middle of the night. We're mostly asleep for it. We don't know the start of our day because regular people are in bed. If you work nights, I'm sorry. You're still regular. I understand. But the reality is is that most of us are in bed for that. Their day starts as soon as the sun crosses the, crosses the horizon. Boom, that's the beginning of the, their day. And so their Passover, when it began, was at the beginning of their day. And so at twilight, when the sun went down, the the... Before it was dark, they slaughtered the lamb, they put the blood on their doorposts, and then they cooked the lamb, and they had the meal, and they did the things that they'd been instructed to do. And that's the beginning of that day. Well, that Passover day then extends into the following day. And I've kind of set it up on this graphic to kind of show you sunset to sunrise, sunset to sunrise, in the middle of what we would call the day, the middle of the day, their day begins. And the truth is Passover could fall on any day. Because it's not bound to a certain day. It's, it's not bound to a certain day of the week. It's bound to a certain numbered day in the month. So the 14th day of Nisan could happen any day. For example, last year, the, the, they still observe Passover. The Jews still observe Passover. Last year, Passover started on April 6th, which happened to be a Friday. But in 2013 and in 2014, Passover will start on a Monday. It's not bound. See, in our Christian circles, we think of Passover and we kind of tie it together with the death of Christ on the cross. And we have our Good Friday services and we, and we look to the resurrection on Sunday morning. Um, and we, and we, we connect those two things together like that. But the reality is that Passover doesn't have to fall on any specified day of the week. It's tied to a certain day in the month. 
And so just, just, for your, just so that you see it, just because I put there what looks like would be Saturday to us as we look at a calendar, don't, don't feel like it has to be tied to that, to that place in the calendar. But the reality is extending from that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that extends all the way to the very next week or the next seven days. And in that seven days, they are going to get together and they are going to have a holy convocation on the first day. And they're not going to eat any unleavened bread in all of their in, in their house. In fact, the instructions say that they're not just to not eat unleavened bread, but they're not to have it anywhere in their borders. You can read about that in Exodus 12 and, and then in uh, Numbers 28. They're not to have it anywhere in their house. They're not to have it within their borders. Nowhere. They're supposed to get rid of everything that's leavened. And, and for those seven days, that's the way they go. And then in that seven days, they provide or offer up sacrifices to God. And those sacrifices deal with food. Um, they, they call it a food offering, and, and that, that consists of a certain number of bulls, a certain number of, of rams, a certain number of lambs, some, um, a, 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 a grain offering, and then a drink offering. And in that, every day, the, the priests are offering these, these sacrifices to God. And they, they slaughter the bulls, they slaughter the rams, they offer the sacrifices. And, <clears throat> and in this way, they come together and they have a holy convocation. They, they have holy gatherings that are designed to bring their attention to God. Now, we don't have to do that. It's not, not, I'm not bringing this to you all, thank you very much. Not bringing this to you all just so that we can start having sacrifices because I don't have any desire to slaughter a bunch of bulls and slaughter a bunch of rams and slaughter a bunch of rams so that we can all feel good and say, oh, we worship God. But the reality is this is what he had told him to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. He had given them this instruction and they were to observe, observe it every year. Now, the most notable point in all of this is the, the very trait or the very characteristic of the holiday or the event or the, the festival for which it's named, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I can understand God requiring or expecting them to make sacrifices. I can understand why he does that because he demonstrates through the scripture that we're sinful people and there has to be an atonement made for our sin. There has to be a shedding of blood for our sin. So I get why he does this with the sacrifices. But as I think about why is it so important that they eat unleavened bread? I mean, the question, what's wrong with leavened bread? What's wrong with bread that's had yeast applied or, or some agent applied to it that causes it to rise? Is, there, is it so sinful or bad for us to eat that kind of bread? Why would it be so important that they eat unleavened bread during this time? So that's what really began. I really began digging and trying to figure it out and, and strive to answer that question. I think from these things, we will find great ways that, or, or, or amazing ways that we can um, apply this to our own lives. So we're going to flip over to Exodus chapter 12. And I've got several passages I want to share with you that will help us kind of build out of the rest of this to help us understand what the deal with the unleavened bread is. So Exodus chapter 12, we'll pick up in verse 8. We'll read several verses. Um, so just kind of hang on with me and, and follow along. <clears throat> All right. They shall eat the flesh that, that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Uh, they shall eat it. And so here we see in verse 8, they shall eat the flesh. This is referring to the Passover lamb 
They eat it that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread. The, the eating of unleavened bread doesn't wait for the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It starts on Passover night. So the night of August 14th, or no, I'm sorry, not August 14th, Nisan 14, they, they would begin, they would slaughter the lamb. As soon as the sun went down, they'd, they'd cook it. They, they would um, prepare their meal and they would eat. And with that meal, they would eat unleavened bread. And then verse 9 says, Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And so here they're eating the whole lamb. They're not to leave anything over. And if they do, they're going to burn it. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Uh, that Any that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner, and listen, listen close, this is important. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay, just mark that in your mind. Now let's skip down to, uh, let me find my notes. Verse 14. It says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So here they are, before they've even left, they've been given the Passover. They've been given the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they're, they're being told before they even go to look forward, look forward to all the generations that are going to follow, and this is something you're going to do from now on. This is a, this is a, a, a day or a, a season that you're going to observe from here on out. Seven days, he says in verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Okay, so here, here we see first, he tells them they're supposed to begin eating the unleavened bread on the Passover. They're supposed to eat in haste. And here we see that this is going to be something that they observe forever. And if anybody doesn't follow it, they're to be cut off from Israel. Now let's skip down to verse 31. They, you can read on your own all the stuff in between. It's really just giving further instruction. And, and I'm just trying to show you some pertinent information that's going to help us see why it's important that they follow this, or, or why unleavened bread. So verse 31, it says, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, This is the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, here, here's what's happened. Passover happens. God shows up, and the destroyer goes across uh, Egypt, and he goes into every house. Remember last week when we talked about this? He goes into every house. There was not a house that didn't experience this that hadn't had blood spread on the doors. So every house in Egypt that, that the Israelites hadn't put the blood on the doors, the destroyer goes in and kills the firstborn. Not just the firstborn children, but the firstborn of all the animals as well. So there's death in every house. Nobody escaped this except for those that had followed the instruction of the Passover. And so Pharaoh, it tells us, if you remember from last week, it tells us there was a great cry that went out. And here's Pharaoh's response. Verse 31, he summons Moses and Aaron by night. So here in the middle of the night, they wake up, dead people everywhere, dead animals. He wakes up, he's, he calls for Moses and Aaron. He says, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. First he says, get out, leave, go away, take everything, be gone. And please bless me also. He's asking for for them to go and, and, and then call on God to show mercy. He's feeling the weight of this curse or this, the, the, this plague. He, he feels it. He senses it. He knows his people have suffered. 
And he wants desperately not to feel that. But he says, go, get out of here, and then bless us also. Bless me also. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent. It wasn't just the Pharaoh that felt this. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So here Pharaoh feels it. And then we see in this verse that also the Egyptians felt that they wake up in the middle of the night. They've sensed something happen. I don't know if there was noise. I don't know if they, they heard it. I, I don't know how they experienced it. But they wake up in the middle of the night. They get up and they find people dead. And they realize it's due to the Israelites being there. That something, somehow, some way, it is connected to the Israelites being there. They're saying, get up and leave. Go before we find ourselves all dead, before we all die. And so we see, we see them wanting them to leave. Leave with haste. Now flip over to Exodus 13, verse 3. He says, it says, Then Moses said to the people, this is after they've left, after they leave Egypt, after they're on their way out, and they've gathered their stuff, their livestock, and all of their families, and they're on the way out, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No, leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, which is Nisan, you are going... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, lost my place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today in the month of Abib. You are going out. And then in verse 8, we'll skip down just that to that just real quickly. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So he's telling them, you're going to remember this. He gives them instruction of how the day is going to go, how the festival is going to go. And then he says, to close it all up, he says, and you're going to tell your son, the reason we do this, is because of what God did for me when he led us out of Egypt. And so here we have this festival kind of broken down. And in these passages, whether you recognize it or not, you can begin to see why it was so important that they followed the rules that God gave them for unleavened bread. And I'm going to break that out, and I think it will help us see application even for our life today. Unleavened bread, it was a reminder of what they had been delivered from and what they were being delivered to. <clears throat> Excuse me. God wanted them to remember what He'd done for them. I mean, you heard that in the last passage we read. You, you see it. It's, it's going to be. This is going to be something you do from here on out. Before they're even in the desert, before they're even a covenant people, before they're even with Him in covenant, He's saying this is something you're to do, and you're to remember this. And then He says. I want you to tell your sons that this, is the, that this is what God did. He wants them to remember. He wants them to remember that in the bondage of slavery, they were miserable. That life was hard, that it was difficult. That they felt the pressure and the weight of the, of the bondage. And then he wanted them to remember also what he'd done to make them free. And when he made them free, he wasn't making them free to live by their own authority. He wasn't saying, okay, Israelites, go out and be your own people and live your own way and go do your own thing. He's giving them commands to follow because he's freeing them to live under his authority, to be his people, to be a people that, that not just live for, for their, themselves, but live for him. Every time God delivers us from something, he's delivering us to something else. He will never deliver you to be left all by yourself. Every deliverance, every, every way that God delivers, He is delivering us from something 
to something. And God wanted these Israelites to remember it. He wanted them to remember what he'd done. He wanted them to, to remember the power that he showed. He wanted them to remember. Because there was going to come a day. There was going to come a time. And you can read about it all the way through the book of, of Exodus. As they walked in the desert, there's going to come a time when they began to doubt. And when they began to long for the life in Egypt. There, there's a point where they're going to say, did he just lead us out here to die? I, I would have rather died in Egypt. He wanted them to remember he wanted them to have it in their minds that God has done this for us and God is going ahead of us. Because He doesn't just deliver us from something. He always delivers us to something. He had delivered them from slavery and He made them free. In addition, they would, they would be delivered to a land that God had promised them. God had made a promise to Abraham over 400 years before. God had made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And your people are going to have it and they're going to dwell in it. And as God did this work, He was making that promise a reality. See, what God was doing was bringing them out of Egypt and He was bringing them to the promised land. And so the, the, the reality is, is what, what He wanted them to understand, what He wanted them to see, was that as they stepped out of Egypt, that first step out of Egypt, their deliverance into the promised land was just as certain as that first step out of Egypt. They didn't have to cross the Jordan to know that their deliverance into the promised land was certain because the very God who delivered them from the Egyptians was going to bring them to the promised land. He wanted them to see that. He wanted them to remember that. I, I want you to recognize this. As the people of Christ, our deliverance, our deliverance, our, our salvation is just as certain today as it is going to be the day that Christ returns. As people who follow Jesus Christ, we, we have just as much confidence, can, can have just as much confidence today as we do in the, in the, in the truth and, and belief and hope that when Christ returns, He's going to save us. You're not more saved then than you are now. I mean, when, when you consider the Israelites, you think about them, and, and they, they were told to eat unleavened bread, and they were told to follow these, these things and these traditions, and, and they were to go out into the desert, and they were to walk into, through the desert, and they were to get to the other side of the desert, and God was going to bring them into the promised land. And they got there, and they got scared. And they didn't trust God to cross the river. They didn't trust God that He could deliver them to the land. And he didn't, they didn't trust God, and so God sends them back out into the desert. And He sanctifies them. And he begins to shape in them a people who trust him, who remember what he did to bring them out, and then trust that he can bring them in. You see, as believers today, you and I, we need this. We need to trust that God cannot just bring us out, but that he can also bring us in. That every day from the moment of conversion that you are under his care, that he is working for you, that he is caring for you, that he is providing for you. You are a believer today and you are just as safe today as you will be the day that Jesus returns. And he tells them, he says, come and, and do these things. That This unleavened bread, it was a reminder for them. And so every season this would come up for the Israelites. And they would come to this place and they would remember. God did it then. He can do it today. I, I've got something to hang on to. I've got a, I've got a point of interest, a point of memory, a point of remembrance. I saw God work. 
And every time they eat that unleavened bread, they have a, remem- a, a memory, a, a point to, in, in time that they can point to and say, this is what God did that day. And so I'm confident that this is what God can do today. Abraham, on the mountain, when he saw that, that his son, you know, he didn't have to, to, to sacrifice his son as God had called him to do. And, and the angel of the Lord speaks up and says, don't do it, Abraham. Don't touch your son. And he looks up and he sees a ram in the thicket. He says, the Lord will provide. From that day forward, Abraham never had to doubt again. He never had to question again whether God would provide or not. Because he knew God was the God that provides. In fact, on that day, on that mountain, he named the Lord the God who will provide. And for us today, it's a name that we can find comfort and confidence in. But the truth is, is that you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have experienced his power in your life. And that deliverance, He didn't just deliver you from something. He's delivering you to something. And so take those moments and remember them. Find confidence in them. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to feel tired and you're going to, feel, and you're going to struggle with doubt and you're, going to, and you're going to wonder, is this really all worth it? Remember what God's done for you. Because the promise is that He's going to finish the work He started. The hope is, the confident expectation is that He's not just going to deliver you from something, but He's going to deliver you to something. In addition, the unleavened bread was about being prepared to go any moment. The Israelites, they've been in bondage for 430 years to the day when Passover, when, when God said to observe the Passover to the day, it's 430 years the people that were celebrating the Passover had been born in slavery. They didn't know anything but it. They couldn't imagine life any different. I mean, consider that. All they'd known is what it is to be mastered over and to be, to be ruled uh, and, uh, uh, with, uh, not, not with love and care, but, but simply just so that you could work and, 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 and do what somebody else wants you to do. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine it. They couldn't imagine anything else. But when God showed up, He didn't say, okay, here, let's get ready and, and let's be, get, get, get things together because in about 20 years, we're going to do this thing. You see, God showed up and things happened. It was about being prepared and being ready to go at any moment. It's so easy. I mean, you consider this. It is so easy to go through life and, and think about this. I mean, we have we, we, we teach that the that Christ is going to return. We teach that that to expect His return and that He's coming back. And we've been teaching that for two thousand years. It's so easy to think that oh, that's just some pipe dream. It's just something that we say is going to happen. And 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 nobody in this room. I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say that out loud. But how many of us live our life like that? You see, when God showed up to these Israelites, He showed up and He said, you're not going to have time to leaven your bread. It takes time to leaven bread. I mean, it takes time. You've you got you to put the yeast in or you've got to put the leaven in. And, and the way that they did it, it was different. It's not like they could run down to Walmart and pick up some yeast and throw it in. And here in a few hours, they had their yeast is working and the bread is rising. It wasn't like that. It's, it's not like they had a proofer that they could throw their stuff into and, and warm it up and make it nice and perfect. You know, it wasn't, wasn't like that. The way they did it is they would have a starter. It's, uh, and typically they would, they would start their yeast in, in, um, 
a wild fashion, I guess you might say. They would leave the yeast or the, or the dough out for a period of time, and it would kind of catch the yeast that's floating around in the air. Whether you realize it or not, there's all kind of stuff. Well, I, I've got allergies. There's stuff floating around irritating me like crazy. I doubt it's yeast, but that yeast can get in the bread dough, and that yeast will then begin to act on the dough that's there, and that becomes a starter. And once you have that starter, you can then make more dough. And what they would do is that they would take a portion of that, or they would re- hold back a portion of that. They'd make their bread for the day. And then the next day, they'd put in some more, put, make some more dough around their starter. And they'd just keep going and keep going and keep going. So every day they had this starter. Well, God comes to them and says, oh, you're not going to have time to do that. You need to just get rid of your leaven. Don't even count on it. Just get rid of it. You need to be ready to go. In fact, you heard it even in the meal of the Passover. Eat it with your shoes on, with your belt on your waist, and with your staff in your hand. Be ready to go. Because you're going to have to leave with haste. You're not going to be, there's not going to be any time to wait. And I can't, you know, I just can't imagine this. I can't, I can't imagine a person in Israel or or one of the Israelites who said, who who would have said, well, God, you know, I I really got to have my sourdough bread. I'd, I'd rather, let me just get this taken care of before you make us go. i got to have my, my sourdough. I can't have my turkey sandwich if I don't have my sourdough. I, I can't imagine anyone thinking to do that. But we all do it. Every day, we all do it. And consider your life. How much time and effort do you spend preparing to live life here? A lot more than we spend time preparing to live life there. How many of us are ready? If Jesus Christ showed up in this moment, how many of us are ready and willing and just want so desperately to be with Him in His presence? How many of us are really so so willing to let it all go? To give up the comforts of this life? To walk away from the things that make us feel good? How many of us are really prepared to walk away? I think the reality is that many of us spend more time preparing our kingdoms here than we're spending time preparing to be in the kingdom there. I think that's the downfall of the American church. I'm not just saying it about you. I think it's a problem in American Christianity. I think we're way too comfortable with the stuff we got here. And I don't know here. I'm not, going, I'm not telling you to go home and throw out all your stuff. Let's just realize that it distracts us from what we're ultimately called to. Let's consider the leavened bread that we love so much and consider that there's times that we need to give it up. Set it aside so that we can focus on and prepare for the coming of the kingdom. Because what God delivers us from is going to be replaced with something He's delivering us to. And in the meantime, He is calling us to be prepared to go at a moment's notice. How many of us spend more time preparing for life here than the world to come? Unleavened bread. It was about obedience and allegiance to the sovereign God that delivered them. The scripture told them, and you heard it, you heard me read it, if anyone was to eat unleavened bread in any of those seven days, they were to be cut off 
from Israel. They weren't even to be counted as one of the Israelite people. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, come on, it's just a little yeast bread. No, it's not yeast bread at all. It's about the idea that motivates them to eat the yeast bread in spite of the command not to. You see, it's the same idea that, that caused the problem in the garden. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. And whether it was an apple or a pomegranate or whatever, or maybe it was a cherry tree, who knows? It's just a piece of fruit, right? Uh, it's so much more than just a piece of fruit. It's so much more than just an unleavened bread. Slice a slice of bread with jam on it. Mm, man, that sounds so good. See, the idea is, is that if you're not willing to obey the sovereign God, that's because you want to be your own God. See, disobedience to God in, in a, even a small command like that is, is just a, a, an act of rebellion that says, you know what, I don't need you. I don't need your instruction. I don't need your protection. I can take care of myself. I know a better way. I don't think there's any of us that would admit to that out loud. But how many of our lives depict it? See, to eat the bread they'd been commanded to was to live in rebellion to the God that saved them. The very God that had, the every, that, that, that had every right to command them. And it was either obedience or rebellion. There is no in-between. There's no gray area. This is some, some of us really appreciate this because we're really black and white people. Some of us live in gray areas, and, and there's a lot of gray areas in this world. I don't want to say there's not, but this is one place where there is no gray area. If you're not obeying God, you're rebelling against God. I don't care if it's active rebellion or just passive rebellion. It's rebellion. And they were to be cut off. Paul picked up on this. He picked up on this imagery and he, and he brought it into the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, they were so excited to have, have such um, uh, worldly people involved in their group. And they were boasting about the sexual immorality that was among them. And he says, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, your boasting is not good. I mean, could you imagine? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe there are churches out there that would feel good about this. Boasting because you have people just sleeping around like crazy and all kind of sexual immorality going on. You have just all kind of junk and trash and messiness in your church. Certainly we're okay with mess. Don't hear me saying that we're not. There's not a person in this room that doesn't bring some mess with them. You are all messy. Your lives are messy. You can, we can dress up on Sunday and we can pretend they're not, but our lives are messy. My life is messy. I struggle with sins in my life. You struggle with sins in your life. That's the reality of it. But is it right to sit and boast about it and just go on about how we're so free that we can just have all kind of drunkards and, and idolaters and gossipers and, and sexual uh, immorality? And, and Is it right to boast? Paul says, no, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The idea is, is that once you put your starter in the dough, that's leavened the whole dough. It makes me think about my mom. She, she makes these Amish friendship breads every Christmas. If you've been here long, you've, you've received one. And for the longest time, I didn't like them. I, they, they didn't appeal to me. But over the last couple of years, they have really developed a taste for them. But what she does is for people that really like them and want to bake, she gives them a starter. 
and she brings a little Ziploc bag with this starter. It's just a mix that's kind of, I, I believe there's some yeast in it. I believe that it, as soon as you mix it in with the rest of the ingredients, it, it makes Amish friendship bread. I don't know what else goes in it, but you have that starter. You put it in with the rest of maybe some flour and water, and boom, Amish friendship bread. There's probably a little more to it than that, but <clears throat> so that's how it seems to me. As soon as you put the starter in, the intent is, is that you're going to have Amish friendship bread. Paul says, as soon as you put a little leaven in, you've leavened the whole lump. It's, it's affected the whole lump. You can't go in and dig it back out. You can't take her starter out of the rest of your stuff. If you decide, well, I don't want Amish friendship bread, you can't get it out. It's too late. Might as well make some Amish friendship bread. If you change your mind, bring me the loaf. I'll take it and eat it. But once it's done, it's done. You can't change that. It's a little bit. It, it sets the whole thing. Then he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really unleavened. Your identity in Christ, our identity in Christ, the Israelites' identity as a people of God was set and now he's calling them to act like it. He's calling them to live in obedience to him. You are my people. Whether you, whether you have agreed to it or not, whether you realize it or not yet, you are my people. Act like it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are his people. We have been saved by Christ. We have been converted by Christ. We have been made new. He says, get rid of the old. Get the new. Because this is who you really are anyway. And trying to hang on to all the old junk. That's just trying to live the old life. That's not who we are. Live in accordance with the call that you've been given. He says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me just illustrate the idea of this. This, this week at Community Group, we were talking, and Brandon brings up that he and Nancy had been watching a show on television, and it just started this season. I don't even remember the name of it. It's probably not important. Actually, it probably is because some of you may need to stop watching it. But <clears throat> uh, it doesn't matter. The reality is, is, is this, is that as they were watching it, they began to recognize that there were some things in it that didn't honor God, that weren't good. And, and they watched it for a couple, three episodes, and they, were like, they started talking. They are like, we just need to, we need to not watch this. It's not, it's not right for us to watch this. It's not good for us to watch this. So they deleted it off their DVR and they're not watching it. I think that's a good thing. I, I'm not telling you to go home and throw away your television. I'm just saying that it's, there's some things that we allow ourselves to be entertained by. There's some things that we laugh at. There's some things that make us feel really good. That are dishonoring to God. That don't belong anywhere in His church. That don't belong anywhere in the people of the church. And we need to get rid of them. We need to let them go. We need to recognize that they are leaven, that they are tainting us, that they are causing us problems, whether we realize it or not. And guys, if you, if you are sitting at home or, or somewhere privately, even publicly, and, and you're looking at, a, at porn on the, on the Internet, and you're finding satisfaction in this, and it's making you feel better, that's leaven. Get rid of it. Be done with it. Oh, that's not as easy as you say. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But listen to the passage. Listen to the hope. 
You are really unleavened. Christ has changed you. He's made you new. You can't remove the leaven, but He can. And He has made you unleavened. Ladies, if you're sitting around and you're bad-mouthing your husband, uh, you get together with a group of, of ladies here at the church and you guys sit around and bash your husband, quit doing it. That's, that's shameful. Husbands, if you're bad-mouthing your wives, that's horrible. Strive to live in the life that God's called us to. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Oh, man, listen to that call. It's huge. It's impossible to do by yourself. But you have been made unleavened by Christ. You can do this. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as unto God. He's not God. We know that. I'm not God to Amy. I recognize that. But there's a picture, a presence, an, a, a, an illustration for her. As she lives her life striving to submit to God. And I'm an illustration for her. That as I strive to love her, she strives to live in submission to the leadership of God. Husbands and wives, guys, ladies, if you've got a poor problem, it's not just a guy problem. Employees. Here's another issue. Employees, quit milking your boss. Quit trying to be to, to get paid for doing as little as possible. Go and be the best employee you can be. Read First Peter chapter two. And it was if you're a, if you're a pitiful employee, you should be ashamed, because God calls us to be unleavened, because He's made us unleavened. This is a call to holiness. And then Peter he tells us he says, what is it to be to be submissive to a good boss, to a good master. The work of God is really demonstrated in a person who submits to one who's not good. It's tough, but you can do it. You can do it because Christ has given you the ability to do it. See, He's our hope, not just to be saved, but to live saved. He's our hope, not just to, to have hope, but to have in His experience and His power today. Family members, making an idol out of your family, whether it's your children or your parents, whether it's, whether it's uh, the idea of having, having the perfect family, the reality is, is this, is that we all walk in a place where God has called us to walk, and it may feel like a desert. But we need to remember that we have been made unleavened, and we've been called to eat the unleavened bread. We've been made unleavened by Christ, and so we're to live that unleavened life. So here we are, a thousand, actually 2,000 years later, and, and Christ, sit, a, a thousand years after this initial command was given, and he comes to this Passover dinner that he sat with his, with his disciples at, and he holds up the bread. And I want to thank Faith. She's given us some authentic Unleavened bread so that, so that you could experience this and that you could see what they were called to eat. But he breaks the bread. And he passes it and he says, this is my body. And so now as we come to the table and we remember what Christ has done for us, every time we eat of the bread, we can remember that he doesn't just deliver us from something, but he's delivering us to Something. This is the confidence we have in Christ. And we can remember 
that, that He has done a work in us, that, that we can remember that He is continuing to do a work for us. We can remember. Uh, let me find my notes. We can remember to act on, a, on His call at a, at a moment's notice. So we can remember to live this life in a prepared way, in a, in a posture that, that we're recognizing that this isn't our home, but the one to come is. We are aliens and strangers in this land. Not called to leave the world, but to live in the world as His people. We can remember that we are called to be prepared at a moment's notice for His call. We, are to, we can remember that we're to live in obedience and allegiance to the commands of Christ. Every time we break this bread and take the element and remember His broken body, we can remember that He did this work for us. And every time we eat the bread, and we're not eating his flesh. We're not, we, we know that the transubstantiation teachings, they're, they're, they're her, heretical. They're not right. But we can remember, as he called us to remember, to do this in remembrance of me. To eat this bread and remember all that he's done, all that he's going to do. What he's called your life to be. What he's calling us to every day. And after they ate the bread, he holds up the cup, and it obviously is a much fancier, probably nicer cup than this, a little better than our little plastic cups. But he holds up the cup, the wine, and he says, this is my blood. It's been poured out that, 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 that many will be saved. It's been poured out for the new covenant. You see, in the Passover and in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we have a shadow of our communion meal. Christ's body broken as our unleavened bread, our remembrance to all He's done. His blood poured out so that we can know forgiveness, so that we can be called His people. And He says, do this. Take and drink. And do it in remembrance of Me. And they took the cup and they drank. And they observe this. And he says, continue to do it to the day I come back and do it. And often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Do it remembering. Remembering the price that's been paid. You see, this, this feast of unleavened bread, the Passover, it's not just a call to worship in a moment. But it's a call to worship in our whole life. Every moment of every day belongs to him. And we can wake up and we can give it to Him and we can walk in holiness and we can walk in obedience and we can walk remembering that there is hope to come and we can walk in a way that, that we are ready for Him to show up at any moment or we can walk in the way we've always walked. Serving ourselves. Loving ourselves more than we love anyone else. Striving to build a kingdom on this earth. Striving to find satisfaction and joy in the moment. Or we can walk in Him. It's a call to worship in all of life. In what we have now in Christ. And so today, as we come and we close and we stop to think about what Jesus Christ has done, I'm going to ask you to approach this communion a little differently than you would maybe approach it on a normal week. Certainly you need to consider your sins. Certainly you need to confess and spend time thanking Jesus for what He's done. Certainly you need to think about His broken body and His shed blood. But as you see God revealed in the Passover as a just God and a 
merciful God. And as you see God, a God of judgment and a God of grace, also remember that he's called us to respond to that. Remember that he's called us to walk in response to him. Remember that there is more to this life than what we can gain here in this world. Remember that what we do does matter. Remember that what we do when we walk out these doors is an act of worship of something, ourselves or him. Remember that how you live as an employee is an act of worship of something, yourself or God. Remember that as you live as a married person or a single person, that the things you involve yourself in, whether they're sexual immorality, whether they're, whether they're um, just striving to build a, a great big bank account, whatever it is, it's worshiping something, yourself or him. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember what he's called you to. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you so much for all that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the call to remember. I thank you, God, for the call to live an obedient life, a holy life. But I thank you, God, that you didn't just leave us here to do it by ourselves, that you gave us the power to do it as you converted us and changed us. And now you indwell us by the power of your spirit that we can actually live this unleavened life. God, thank you for that. Thank you so much. For the, for the knowledge that we have our victory in you. Not just for the life to come, but in our life now. Thank you that, Father, that in spite of the times that it feels like a desert, that we can stop and remember your power and your provision, your deliverance. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. God, I would pray. I would pray that you would rest this on our hearts, that you would apply the pressure that, that needs to be applied, that people would recognize the things that they have been clinging to, those, those, those leavened things, those things that are of the old person that they need to release. God, that you would just work in us and make us your holy people, that as we continue to reach into Springfield, we call to a people who are lost and who are, who are wandering, who need to be and experience your deliverance, but that they'll be called into your holy family, God. Father, would you, would you help us to, to reflect more of you and less of us? Would you help us to be a people that, that, that others see you clearly doing a work in us? Would you be this that big in us, God? Father, we thank you. We praise you. And it's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.